chapter 1, our text this morning, we'll begin reading in verse 16 down through the end of this chapter, but we're going to look particularly at verses 18 through 25. Hear now the word of the living God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools." and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because... They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's fair word. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the Bible, your very word. We thank you, oh Lord, that even though you gave it through the men of old, the prophets of the Old Testament, the apostles of the New Testament. Yet, Lord, uh, these men did not speak and write their own word, their own opinions. But you moved by your blessed Holy Spirit, and you, O oh God, the Spirit carried them along, and they spoke and wrote your very word. And so, Lord, we praise you that this, the Holy Scriptures, has been preserved and kept down through the ages. And we thank you that you are not only the author of Holy Scripture, but you are the infallible teacher of Holy Scripture. And so, Lord, we beg that you would come, O Lord Jesus. Uh, in your might and in your power this day, by your blessed Holy Spirit. And you would walk in our midst by your Spirit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you are saying, what your Spirit is saying to us. O oh Lord, write your word upon our hearts. Lord, press the gospel afresh. We who have tasted of your kindness, revive us, O Lord, to be those who see the beauty and the glory, uh, the sweetness of Jesus afresh. And Lord, if there be any listening this day who are apart from you, speak your powerful sweet, gentle voice, and call your lost sheep from death to life, that they would hear you calling them to turn their back on the world, to throw away their worthless 
idols, to hate and forsake uh, sin, everything that is opposed to you, and to run to you, Lord Jesus, embracing you as our Redeemer, confessing with the mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believing in our hearts that indeed, Father, you have raised him from the dead. We ask this in the name of Jesus, crying to you, the one true living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, why do we need the gospel? The gospel just simply means good news. And this section in the book of Romans now begins to answer that question. Uh, the rest of Romans chapter 1 uh, addresses uh, pagans, barbarians, Greeks. Uh, why do we need the gospel? And Romans chapter 2 uh, says, well, why do Jews need the gospel? And the answer for both of these groups is exactly the same. And that's what he comes to in Romans chapter 3. Both Jew and Gentile are both under the sway and power of sin. And so let us dig in and look, uh, beginning in verse 18, why do we need the gospel? Why was the Apostle Paul not ashamed of the gospel? Why did he glory in the gospel? Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The reason why the Greek, the reason why the pagan, the reason why the barbarian, and that's everyone who is not a Jew, needs the gospel is because we are under the wrath of God. Now this wrath that is described here in verse 18, we need to understand that it is not talking about the culmination of God's judgment that will be revealed on the great day. You can turn over to Romans chapter 2. Uh, the Bible does teach that there is a great day at the end of history where God's final full judgment will be poured out. In Romans chapter 2, we read uh, in verse 4, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But notice verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And then if you'll look over in verse 16 of this same chapter, you'll see another reference to that day. On that day... When, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Here is the great day uh, that the Bible talks about all through uh, Holy Scripture. It is the day that the uh, men of old knew about and understood. Uh, if uh, you will turn with me uh, to the book of Jude. You might think I was exaggerating when I said that all through history, uh, this day, uh, uh, God had revealed the great day of his wrath is coming. Jude, 
Uh, if you'll look at verse 14, here we have, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Uh, here we have uh, this little glimpse that all through the Bible God had announced there is a great day coming and, of course, that was not only the message a warning people to get ready for that day, but it is also a, a, a day that God's people who are repenting of our sin and believing in Jesus look forward to. That was the source of great hope, uh, even for people in the Old Testament. Uh, if you'll turn with me to the book of Job uh, in the Old Testament. Here we have in the book of Job chapter 19, uh, Job talking about that great day when Jesus will come and destroy the last enemy. Uh, the last enemy standing uh, will be death itself. And so we read in verse 25 of Job 19, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. And yet, even though Job was in such distress, he looked forward to that great day when God will come again in glory. Now, recently, we've gone through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and I want you to turn with me, 1 Thessalonians, and we'll look... Again, the Bible is just full of this reference to the great day um, of wrath. Um, the Bible teaches it is a literal day when Jesus will come again. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians, we'll start reading uh, in chapter 3. Well, actually chapter 1. Uh, I want you to see over and over these references to the great day. And this day is a day of terror for those who are enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a day of great joy and hope for those who are trusting in Jesus. Look at chapter 1, verse 9. Here were people who had embraced the Lord Jesus, verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They had repented of their sins and turned from serving idols to love and serve the living God. And notice verse 10. To serve the living and true God, verse 10, and to wait... For his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so there's a great day coming where God's full, final, perfect, holy wrath will be poured out. Look at chapter 3, verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming 
of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And so God's message is we need to be getting ready for that day. Look at chapter 4, verses 13 and following. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, comfort or encourage one another with these words. Comfort one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And so God has given to us these uh, glimpses of this great day uh, to encourage us, to spur us, uh, because on that great day, it will be a day of great judgment for those who are apart from Christ and a day of great joy and relief for those who belong to the Lamb. Turn with me to John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, the Lord Jesus has declared that the Father has given all authority to him to be the judge. Look at verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead, and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word... 
and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And so here we see two events that God is describing. One was a present event. Look at verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That is a spiritual resurrection that Jesus is causing to take place. And if you're a Christian, that's why you are a believer in Jesus. Jesus has uttered his powerful voice and made you alive from the dead. That's why you and I love Jesus. Jesus came and he spoke his powerful voice and made us alive. Jesus, down in verse 28, says, Well, if you think that's something, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. It hadn't come yet. It still hasn't come. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 described that the first thing that will happen on that great day when Jesus comes, he will utter his powerful voice. The voice of the archangel will boom forth. The trumpet of God will sound. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And there will be people who are alive who have not died, who love Jesus on that day. Uh, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the clouds. And we will have the joy of escorting the Lord Jesus to this earth. And it will be the great day of judgment. The Lord records for us uh, in the book of Revelation uh, more information about this great day. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20 in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence earth and he heaven fled away and no place was found for them and I saw the dead the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened then another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done and the sea gave up the dead who were in it death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven. And the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes 
and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things had passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowards, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. In the Gospel of Matthew, the Lord Jesus talks about that great day. The Lord Jesus, in the first part of Matthew chapter 24, described uh, the destruction of Jerusalem that would come in 70 A.D. And he had given signs, and he said, when you see these signs taking place, do not even go down from your rooftop into the house to pack your suitcase, but immediately flee the city. But then he talks about another day. He talks about the great day of judgment, the day that will end history. And he begins in verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. And therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. And therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces." and put him with the hypocrites, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, 
the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Jesus then tells the parable of the talents, and then in verse 31, he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And he separates the sheep from the goats on that day. And if you look at the end of this, we read in verse 41, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. He has just welcomed his people into his presence. Let's read in verse 31. Then when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. One final passage over in the book of 1 Corinthians 15. There is a great day of wrath that is coming, and it also is the day of deliverance, for those who belong to Jesus. We see this same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 20 and following. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so here this passage tells us that the very last enemy that God will deal with in history before he ushers in eternity is death itself. What a glorious day. That will be for God's people, but what a day of terror and horror 
it will be for those who are apart from Christ. Now back to Romans chapter 1. This passage is talking about the wrath of God, but notice the tense of the verb. This passage is not talking about that day. Now, the reason I wanted to go through all of those passages, make no mistake about it, the great day of wrath surely is coming. It will happen. It will be the culmination of history. The great day of judgment, the day of God's wrath. But notice the tense of this verb. For the wrath of God is being revealed. It's present tense. It's something that is ongoing. For the wrath of God is revealed. It doesn't say the wrath of God will be revealed. We've looked at all of those other passages where they teach about that day. But this is talking about present. That God's judgment, his righteous, holy anger against wickedness is being revealed from heaven. From his throne in heaven, God is revealing his judgment. Now, what is he revealing his judgment against? Well, it's against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. As God is reigning from his throne in heaven, he is meeting out tastes of that great day. Uh, when I was a little boy, we were invited to go to a wedding. It was a fancy wedding. It, it was not just your average wedding. I had never been to a country club, but there we were. And when we walked in, my dad told me, he said, now, Henry, you're going to enjoy this because there's really going to be some delicious food. And for a, a little boy having to sit still through, you know, the ceremony and so forth, this was what kept me going. And sure enough, it, it was an amazing place, and there were people dressed up in tuxedos that were waiting on everybody. Wow, I had never seen such a thing. And they were carrying trays, okay? These guys in tuxedos were carrying trays. And I could see they were lowering these trays for people to get food off of them. And they were sticking it in their mouth. Well, when they got close enough to where I could see what was on the tray, my heart just fell. Because those were the skimpiest servings of food I had ever seen. They had little toothpicks in them. I mean, you could pick up your serving of food with a toothpick. I, I, I was despairing, and, and my dad leaned in. He realized what was going on. He said, Henry, don't, don't worry. He said, this is, this is called the hors d'oeuvres. This, this is just the appetizer. This is just get your taste buds going a little bit. This isn't the main meal. Uh, there's more food coming. This is just a little taste of what is in store. And that's what this passage of Scripture is describing for us. God is serving just a little taste of the judgment that is coming. And so, what is this judgment against? Well, it's against men who suppress the truth. And it's a particular truth. Look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Uh, mankind, apart from the grace of God, is suppressing, is denying, is trying to uh, uh, refute, pretend it doesn't exist, 
a particular truth. And what is this truth? It is the truth about God. That God made me, he made you, he made this world, and he is the rightful creator, sustainer, lawgiver, and judge. That we owe God. That's the truth. That men are wickedly suppressing. They know in their heart, God made this universe. He made me. And I ought to love him and serve him, but I don't want to. I am going to pretend that God didn't make me. I'm a product of chance. I'm a little piece of slime that just evolved over time. There is no God that I'm going to have to answer to. God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against that wickedness, that blatant wickedness. Notice verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. God's testimony of the truth about who he is is plain. It's not hard to see. Everybody is confronted with the truth that God made this world. God made me and I owe him my love. I owe him my worship. I owe him my obedience because God has shown it to them. Every man, woman, and boy and girl who has ever lived, God has revealed this basic glorious truth to. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. Everybody has been told the truth by God himself just through the creation of the world. And the, this truth has been clearly perceived. What do people do with this truth? They suppress it. Apart from the grace of God, that's how wicked, that's how hard fallen mankind is to be confronted with the truth just our own bodies our own existence the sun the moon everywhere we turn we are confronted this is God's world God made me I didn't just happen you didn't just happen the sun and the moon didn't just happen if we were just a little bit closer to the sun we'd be fried up. If we were a little bit further from the sun, we'd be an ice cube. God's testimony of his care, of his provision, of his providence is everywhere. The trees acknowledge the existence of God. They clap their hands. The mountains sing for joy. God made me. That's what the world is declaring. That's what we read in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth, the firmament, everything that God has made is declaring God's glory. The God who spoke the universe into being out of nothing and then over the space of those six days, the first day he speaks it into being and he forms and fashions and the culmination of his work of creation is making Adam of the dust of the earth, not from a lower life form, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then he put Adam to sleep and he created Eve from Adam's side and woke Adam up and performed the first wedding 
And Adam and Eve lived in the paradise in the presence of God, but they rebelled against God. And that rebellion has plummeted the whole human race into this state of being alienated from God. And God has testified. Verse 20, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, what do people do? They do not honor him as God or give thanks. And that's what God calls us to do. God is calling us to honor him as God. And you know what you do when you honor him as God? You say, God, you made me, and I've broken all of your holy commandments in Adam, and I've proven it in my own life, and I need your son to redeem me. And Lord, I'm trusting in you to restore me. And then we seek to honor God. We seek to worship him. We seek to love him and adore him and please him. And then we give thanks. We are a people who just constantly are saying, thank you, Lord. We are, when we eat, Something that really tastes good. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I enjoy holidays uh, is because of the food. And one of the reasons why I love just every day is, is because of all the sweet gifts God showers upon us. And, and food. I mean, we had game night a couple nights ago. And I'm telling you, mm, there, were, there were some things that really tasted good. Well, when you taste something that just is a delight, what does God want us to do? He wants us to honor him. He wants to say thank you. And if that is not the way you live, is not, if it's not the way... I live constantly seeking to praise God and, and give thanks to him. Look out. Because that's how people express themselves when they suppress the truth. They live as if God doesn't exist. They live as if I don't need God. How stupid for me to act as if I don't need God. How wicked for me to act that I don't need God. Oh, we depend upon God for every beat of our heart. Just to be able to get up in the morning, we ought to say, thank you, Lord, for another day. Uh, to have taste buds. You know, God could have made us without taste buds. He could have. He wasn't obligated to give us taste buds. He could have made all this food with all of these amazing flavors and just given us monochrome taste buds where we could only taste one thing. Isn't God kind? Isn't God good? And as Romans 2 tells us, the kindness of God is meant to what? To lead us to repentance so that we would be turning to him and trusting in him and then seeking to honor him and give thanks to him. Well, we're going to stop there. And next week we'll pick it up and we'll see well, what does this wrath that God is giving a taste of in history, what does it look like? And um, 
It is a chilling thing to see. I'll give you a hint. They became futile in their thinking. Their foolish heart was darkened. And they worshipped the creature rather than the creator. God gave them up to depraved thinking. Oh, how we need Jesus. Because he's the only one who can restore us, who can deliver us from the foolishness of denying that God is. God is. There's a great day coming when everybody will be confronted with that truth. And they cannot escape. But God is graciously testifying of that truth even today so that we would run to Jesus and embrace him and love him and seek to honor our God and give thanks. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, how we thank you for Holy Scripture, the very word of your mouth, write it upon our hearts, Lord. You have told us that you will come again in glory someday and that you will come like a thief. And nobody knows the day or the hour. And so, Lord, you encourage us and warn us to be ready for that day. And, Lord, you serve just little reminders that indeed you are the holy, holy, holy God. And you are at work in this fallen world. You reign on high. How we thank you that evil is not free to just run rampant. But Lord, you are the judge of all the earth. You see. And Lord, we pray that we would take that truth to our own hearts. That we would not suppress the truth. Denying that you are God. Denying what you say is true and good and right in Holy Scripture. Denying what we are obligated to give to you just for being our creator, our honor. Oh, Lord, to honor you, uh, our thanks, uh, to be giving thanks to you day in and day out. Lord Jesus, how we thank you for coming to be our redemption for rescuing us bless now as we continue to worship in the name of jesus we pray amen